HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, we're jumping into a world filled with fizz, iridescence, and deliciousness. We're talking about bubbles. It came from the air gas truck. Yeah, no, I never thought about it before that. And I think it's emerged as a bulbous tea shops, a site of Asian-American youth uh, identity building. We're called the invisible industry because these products you don't really see, but they're around us in every way, um, every day. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We have a bang-up show today, folks. Uh, I have, um, well, what can I say? Big doings out in the farm belt there vis-a-vis the pig business. I just want to say that um, the pork business is looking to expand exponentially, and it's not just uh, American pork producers. It's other countries wanting to open more hog farms. So to talk about the impact of large confinement area hog farms, also known as uh, CAFOs, confined area feeding operations, you've all heard that term before, um, we have two guests today. My first guest is Art Cullen. He has been a guest before, for some of you who have tuned in for the last 11 years. Um, Art is the Pulitzer Prize winning editor and co-owner of the Storm Lake Times, Buena Vista County's hometown newspaper in Iowa. In 2017, Art was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for editorial writing. And the guest, uh, the other guest who is a newcomer to the show is Lisa Doerr. I hope I said that right, Lisa. Um, That's good. Lisa, she's a lifelong farmer, grew up on a farm out in Wisconsin. She runs a commercial forage operation in Polk County. And since 2019, she has been an activist in pushing back against corporate entities looking to build up to 30 hog factories for Smithfield alone, which would mean tally up to about a million pigs a year, which is, I think we all can say safely, an environmental and economic disaster in the making for that area. So Art, let's start with you because you published an editorial on March 26th in the Storm Lake Times called Reaching Our Limit. Tell us about that limit and why you felt compelled to issue such a strong statement. 
Well, uh, because we continue to see, first of all, Iowa is the hog capital of the world. Yes. Uh, And we've been inundated with hogs since, uh, basically since 1990, we've seen CAFOs, that's confined animal feeding operations, popping up everywhere in Iowa, and especially uh, here in northern Iowa, which is kind of the buckle of the corn belt. And uh, it's cheap corn, cheap beans, soybeans to feed mm-hmm. these hogs. And so that just naturally attracts more and more hogs to Iowa. And now it's spreading to uh, more uh, to areas that really can't handle this manure, like South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and yes, Wisconsin. And uh, what, what we have here is 25 to 30 million hogs. Nobody really knows how many hogs there are in Iowa uh, because the DNR has lost track of it. But uh, that's the equivalent of 125 million people in sewage. So get your head around that. Right. Uh, We can't take any more of it. Our soil can't handle the manure. We're polluting the Raccoon River that runs by Storm Lake and the Floyd River that runs near Sioux City, Iowa are several times higher in both nitrate and phosphorus uh, levels than are safe. And uh, it's, it's, we can't control the manure. We, they're drinking down our, our underground water aquifers and uh, along with ethanol. And uh, we can't take any more of it. Right. So let's, I want to back up for a couple of seconds and drill down on two points that you've just made. The first is that you don't know how many hog confinement operations exist in Iowa. And that is true for the entire country, because I don't know what sleight of hand legislation has led to this, but there is no onus, there is no imperative, no legal, uh, no legal statute that says that someone who wants to open up a confinement uh, operation has any obligation to report it to anyone in particular. And therefore, there is actually across the nation, there is no fixed uh, accurate number of how many animal confinement operations exist, which has had disastrous impacts, as you just said, on the Raccoon River um, and and the Floyd River. Um, And then uh, the other thing that you said that I thought was really interesting was the drawdown of your aquifers. And I wonder if you could talk just a little bit more about the water supply issues that you're facing. Well, first of all, Iowa does have a manure management law. So for every confinement of a thousand head or larger, you do have to file a manure management plan with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And then they would know how many hogs are there, except they eliminated the budget uh, for the coordinator of CAFOs in the state, so (laughs) nobody's keeping track of it. Right. Uh, So there is a requirement for larger size confinements, uh, but nobody pays any attention to it because Mm -hmm. it's just a religious issue in Iowa that you cannot interfere with the production of livestock in any form. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just handed down to us by Moses. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the religious quality of your of your editorial. Actually, made well, it is, it's the religion in Iowa. Agriculture is our state religion. And I understand. Yeah, and uh, nothing will get in the way of that. Now, the aquifers uh, we rely on the Dakota Aquifer for our drinking water. It's a vast underground river that essentially 
follows the Missouri River uh, underground. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it takes three gallons of water to make a gallon of ethanol. So yeah. we see these huge steam clouds rolling out across the prairie. Those are ethanol plants. And then it takes five gallons of water a day to water a hog and yeah. process it. So uh, I'm surprised it's not more. So and these th- these these hog supplies and these ethanol supplies are all drilling down into the Jordan. Uh, the Jordan Aquifer is down 70 feet from where it was in 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Dakota Aquifer, now they've said that no more pumping can be allowed in the Storm Lake area from the Dakota Aquifer uh, because we're drawing it down so fast. Wow. Uh, Storm Lake is home to two large meatpacking plants, both owned by Tyson. One is a turkey processing plant. They're also held in confinement. And the other is a hog confinement or a hog processing plant, also owned by Tyson. And those also consume a great deal of water. Uh, And finally, we have about 5 million laying hens in Buena Vista County, about 15 miles north of us. And those 5 million hens consume a hell of a lot of water. Yeah. So uh, we we are drinking down our aquifers. And in the process, we're creating a dead zone from over-fertilization from both manure and commercial fertilizer, that is anhydrous ammonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're creating a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, the size of New Jersey, and it's growing, and it's killing the fishing industry. So we can pursue this 200 bushel per acre corn that is, exists primarily to feed hogs, poultry, and ethanol plants. Wow. Yeah, thank you for that. And now you guys... In Iowa, I know that there have been uh, efforts, repeated efforts, to uh, produce a moratorium on building new hog confinement facilities specifically. Maybe other animals as well. I don't know about those. What, what is, why, why is that, uh, you know, given what you're telling us about the water supply, and of course we didn't discuss the greenhouse gases, the VOCs that emanate right. off of these hog lagoons, the right. manure cesspools that are open to the air, and give off unholy aromas, not to mention hydrogen sulfide and methane. Right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about why, in the in the face of property value loss, uh, in the face of water quality issues and air quality issues, there cannot be a moratorium on hog facilities. Because we view this as uh, in Iowa as the entire un- economic underpinning of the state, and mm-hmm. so uh, we will starve ourselves to death to feed the world. We'll give a hog a last drink of water uh, <laughs> before ourselves because that's what we do, and uh, we don't know how to do anything else. We refuse to do anything else because we're wrapped into this this ag supply chain that says. Okay, Wisconsin, you're going to build big corporate dairies and uh, Cal and California and Iowa. You're going to ha- we're going to have huge hog houses. This is what you do in Iowa because this is the way Bayer and uh, Corteva and Dow Dupont want it. And mm. uh, so the, the system is set up that way. 
And the, the, the laws were written, so they didn't want local control in Iowa because they knew that the Koch brothers and Bayer and Monsanto couldn't control 99 counties, but they could control one state house, uh, which they right. done very effectively, the Koch brothers through the American Legislative Exchange Council. And they've essentially taken over state universities and legislatures in Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, and Wisconsin. All the states we're talking about. Unbelievable. So, um, Lisa, let's go to you for a second, uh, and then we'll come back to you, Art. So you, uh, since 2019, you've been involved with a resistance movement to combat the installation of possibly as many as 30 new hog confinement operations that would be owned by Smithfield, a company which we all know was sold, I think, in 2007 uh, to the Chinese, essentially the Chinese government. It was called the WH Group, but there is no, really no separation between companies like that and the actual Chinese government. So I, 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 the politi- politics of this is, are so interesting to me, but we'll talk about that in a second. But so so what what is happening in your town? You're in something called Lake Town, Wisconsin. So you're in a separate state from art, arts in Iowa. Let's keep that that factor very clear because I want people to understand that this is like, this is kind of ballooning out, you know, across the farm belt in a way that everyone should be very upset about. Exactly. So tell us, tell us about what's going on. Yeah. The Iwegians are trying to uh, infiltrate into Wisconsin, <laughs> as we would say. Um, yeah. We live in a town called Lake town and I don't know if you could figure out why it would be called Lake town, but um, we have hundreds of lakes and ponds and um, fens and wetlands because um, we're the far southern edge of where the glacier uh, dropped a whole bunch of refuse about 14,000 years ago. So we have all kinds of um, glacial ridges and, and very small fields that are kind of wedged in between. Uh, and not very good dirt um, on an ecological viewpoint. We're really on the uh, transition zone between the hardwood and the pine forests. So um, we really are nothing like Iowa. Um, I mean, we love to go to Iowa and see the incredible soil that those grasslands put down in Iowa, um, but that's nothing like what we have. our dairy industry pretty much has died out, like most of the middle-class agriculture across the country has died out. But but we still have an amazing um, agriculture economy in our area that we have a lot of small producers of um, pork and beef and um, uh, lamb, and um, we have family-owned processors. We have six, and we just added two more because of the um, pandemic, uh, family-owned processors where the meat goes. So we have a somewhat intact system. We also have a lot of guys doing cash cropping, uh, corn, and uh, obviously soybeans to send to China. But um, we actually have a, a somewhat intact economic system based on agriculture here. And then mm-hmm. the other thing that's wonderful is that we have this 
um, we're an hour, maybe an hour and a half from the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. So we have people who can commute there for work. And then we have a really strong fiber optic system. So we have a whole bunch of people working from their homes. Nice. And, and then on top of that, we have a whole bunch of retirees. People have come back here to retire on the lakes. So we have mm -hmm. a pretty complex economic system that all of which obviously is threatened by these hog boys, trying to, the big pig trying to get in. Yeah, um, sure. I, the only thing I would correct a little bit is we don't know that Smithfield is going to own these plants. Oh, we I know see. that they're going to supply the gigantic Smithfield processing plant that's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And um, it, that's what's so interesting about their work is they're bringing capital in. They're attracting investor groups um, to to put these um, facilities up. And sometimes Smithfield owns the hogs. Sometimes they don't. It's not quite clear yet uh, where that where that's going to be on. I mean, who's well, going to uh, actually own it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be your investor groups are going to be uh, the ones who own the pigs, although they don't have, I mean, I don't see, I think it's going to have to be the same uh, system as they use in the poultry integration system, right? Where they they send them the piglets or they send them the sows, the sows then breed and, um, you know, and there'll be a farrowing operation and, you know, it'll it'll shake itself out into that. But eventually it sounds like what the, the goal for, uh, for these investor groups, such as they are, uh, is to house up to a million hogs in your part of Wisconsin, where obviously your water is uh, going to be seriously affected by that. I mean, it's amazing to me that that is not a, a more, um, you know, compelling, <laughs> a more compelling story to uh, the people who are interested in having having these uh, confinement areas come in. And and also, Art, you were talking earlier about how your economy is so intertwined with these hog facilities, but they don't hire that many people. I mean, the, the most of no. the jobs come in the packing plants. They don't come in the hog confinement facilities. So, mm -hmm. and the people who man those packing plants are immigrants, mostly undocumented. So it's not like that's the part of it that's feeding your regional economy there. So well, yeah, who's, who's uh, getting money here? Who's getting the bucks? Well, yeah. Uh, so Tyson doesn't actually own their own hogs. They do the, own their own poultry, but not their hmm. hogs. Uh, they'll buy them from uh, Iowa Select Farms, which ah. is uh, funded by Wall Street money. And, and they're a big regional producer in Iowa Falls, Iowa. And uh, so, uh, but it's the only thing that, it's the only game in Iowa. If uh, there, there huh. are, and so if you're a young, you know, a 40 year old farmer, that's young by Iowa standards. Yeah. If you're a 40 year old farmer and you're trying to hang on by your fingernails through the last four years of Trump's trade wars, the only yeah. way to hang on is to get that hog house and get another twenty to thirty thousand dollars in revenue, and that becomes your off-farm job. And so it's very difficult to break through that political culture, where the guy that you're in church with is very defensive about that hog house, and he's saying, "You're going to drive me off the farm if I can't put in that hog house." Yeah, well, they've got they've got us by the short hair, as it were. We. we 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 have no choice but to participate in that system. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, and I, I would say that, that that's the similar thing that is happening here is that we have um, guys who are going out of dairy. All the middle class dairies are going down and then they have all these skills and work ethic and they obviously have some land. Um, and so the, these investor groups are coming in um, and it was actually sponsored by our dairy co-op. Our dairy co-op has gone very much, in my opinion, to the dark side. They're actually buying milk from Arizona and bringing it here to make. Is that their, DFA? Their, Is that Dairy Farmers uh, of America? No, it's it's called Brunette Dairy Co-op. It's not the big F and um, Co-op. Okay. Um, they compete with BFA actually. So uh, they came up with this idea two years ago and started courting the investor groups that they wanted to um, to get into Big Pig. And uh, they have succeeded in buying 38 acres, um, and they are now trying to permit a, a farrowing plant with 7,500 animal units, which is like 26,000 cows. And then they came to our town um, two years ago. They started asking people to sell land to them. And uh, the, one of the places they're trying to buy is about 1.2 miles east of our house. Mm. And, uh, and we know they're doing it because, you know, our friends, they came to their house and knocked on their door and tried to buy their land. So right. that, um, and then we have a lot of Iowa refugees here who um, have f- fleed Iowa literally and moved to our county, and so they're they're part of our opposition too because they know exactly where it's leading. Yeah, right. And Lisa, you told me the other night when we were talking um, that there's um, and Art, this was something I wanted you especially to comment on that there's a lot of very kind of granular, specific uh, small town pressure, uh, you know, very specific pressures being put on small town council members, for example, who are, you know, if they if they say vote against uh, allowing some of these sales to go through or, or a moratorium or something like that, well, oh my God, you know, they're being told they could possibly lose their pension or they could uh, face felony charges for, you know, keeping people from farming. I mean, what do you, I mean, talk about that, Lisa, tell us about that experience or what's going on there. And then Art, I'd love it if you would comment on that and let us know whether that's the same tactics that have been used in your neck of the woods in Iowa. Uh, Sure. I I can definitely comment on that. We have an election tomorrow at our Mm -hmm. town level. A town is six miles by six miles. That's the Jeffersonian vision of America. Um, mm-hmm. We have like 900 people in our town. 600 of them can vote. And um, mm-hmm. we have four people running. It's uh, Merle Larson, Bruce Paulson, Jared Olson, and Mark Johnson. And well, two of them, a lot of Scandinavians. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of them are Danish. Okay. Scandinavians, okay. whatever. That's yeah, very different right? than Swedish. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, and two of them are first cousins on the other oh side God. of the issue. So I think that's a good example of what you're talking about, Art. I mean, we have first cousins running against each other on the pro and anti-CAFO. Um, Sunday or Saturday night, the night before um, Easter, the pro-CAFO guys took a load of manure and ran their manure spreader down the edge of the field next to the people who are anti-CAFO. Oh my just, God! Just dump one load of manure. Didn't do the whole field. Just did the one load. Um, those are, you know, real specific things. On on a little bigger picture, um, at at the county level, we have these boys coming in from Madison, um, and and women too. They're the big lobbyists for for big dairy. So Art Art already mentioned that Wisconsin has 
pretty much been taken over by Big Dairy in Madison, which is our state capital. So yes. they send they send a lobbyist to our town of Lake Town. It's like a five and a half hour drive to come to a town board meeting in Lake Town and see mm. what we're doing. Um, they've sent letters to our county supervisors telling them if they pass a moratorium, it'll be a felony offense and they mm. could lose their um, postal federal um, um, pensions. Um, we they've very much threatened our local media. I mean, they point Blake went in and said that if they covered this CAFO issue, the county would stop um, advertising with them and the big dairy um, co-op would stop advertising. And, and that's done us more harm than almost anything else because now our yeah. paper won't cover the issue. Unbelievable. In, in fact, they, um, the Farm Bureau's been coming in for the first time in history and uh, participating in our election that's tomorrow. And uh, one of our reporters tried to write an article about it, and the editor buried it behind a firewall on, mm. on the web that cost $65 to open. Wow. So wow. those are some of the examples. Um, I got some other things that they're doing. The a big thing I'd warn people about is they try to shut down any research. And I'm sure Art has seen this, so they... they they tell all kinds of lies, and then they won't let the towns or the counties do any research. Um, at our county level, we were able to pass a moratorium, but then they totally shut down the research. And they even wouldn't want let staff, who our public health staff person, wouldn't let him talk about the research that he'd done. They, they kept it under wraps. It's kind of another example. I don't know how they can shut down research, but Art, does any of this sound familiar to you? I mean, you're a part owner of your newspaper, so clearly you're not a man who is going to be intimidated by something like this. But have you seen those same tactics uh, happening in t small towns uh, throughout Iowa? Well, uh, the uh, in Iowa, it's different than Wisconsin. Uh, everything's controlled at the state level because uh, it, it's easier for the corporate money to control the state house and the mm -hmm. agencies and again than it is to control 99 counties so there really is no local authority in iowa it gets right. county boards of supervisors off the hook or city councils because they can't oppose and there's a there's a law in iowa that says essentially you can build a livestock operation anywhere you want outside of city limits mm -hmm. uh, up to 999 animals and then after it becomes a yeah, thousand animals then they right have to from then they have to register it and have a manure yeah. management plan yeah right and that's all done at the state level this is the, the county supervisors cannot if you wanted to put in two thousand sows just outside the storm lake city limits there is nothing a local official could do about it nothing wow. and uh as far as yeah we've lost all our advertising from tyson uh the Farm Bureau doesn't advertise with us, uh -huh. uh, and uh, we lost about uh, $22,000 in January and February. That's why we have a paywall up that costs $65 a year, uh, because it affords me to be able to talk to you right now. Right. And because we have to save local newspapers, and we have no ads left. And yeah, wow. they have t they've withdrawn all their support. They've done everything we can do. We're losing money, and I don't know if we'll make it through the year. But oh, that's right. why we have a paywall up. 
And, yeah. and it's very important for people to understand that information is not free. And we work right. very hard and tirelessly at ferreting out this information about how workers are forced into the meatpacking plants during COVID. That's yes. how we lost our Tyson ad. We, we, so anyway, uh, yeah, we've seen it all. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I got to tell you that we totally understand that about our newspaper. Our newspaper is cooperatively owned and was started by the farmers in the 1930s because they couldn't get coverage of their issues. And um, when when our editor tells us that he can't publish something because uh, he lost $400,000 last year, uh, we understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, we're going to take a real short break and then we're going to kind of back this out and talk about the politics uh, of your states um, and and, you know, how they got how they got to put a stranglehold on what consumers want. So stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back with Lisa Doerr and Art Cullen. We'll talk more about uh, confinement uh, operations and state legislatures and all the stuff that you may not think it matters in your state right now but I promise you it's gonna, so stay tuned. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. And Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com. Okay, so uh, we were just talking about um, how your local newspapers are getting shut down essentially by uh, the loss of advertising revenue um, because of these large um, corporations that not don't like you. Things, but not just them, but. No, it's not. I mean, all print media is struggling, right? right? I mean, that's right. been going on for a while. But um, it is it is notable that. When you, Art, or, you know, somebody in your town, Lisa, publishes something that these corporate overlords don't like, they can obviously do serious damage to the infrastructure of that town. And nothing is more important in any small community than local news. <laughs> you know, I live in a small town. I mean, we have three papers here, thank God. And they're not the greatest I've ever read, but they, you know, they do cover the issues. So now you guys, you both live in politically conservative states. So when you have these fights over what amounts to a citizen's right to clean air and clean water, do you think that that will eventually uh, change the political character of your state? Will you? Will people ever decide that their rights to property values, clean water and clean air trump the right of the hog industry to own the state? What do you think? Um, well, I guess I could go first. Uh, go right ahead. We, Whoever's got a good answer. Uh, my county was 70% for Trump. And mm -hmm. um, many, many of our people who are opposing the, uh, these hog operations are uh, conservative 
and support Trump. So mm-hmm. we we have a very bipartisan uh, group of folks. One of our people running is a Republican. The other one's a Democrat. Um, and so they're they're not buying into it at all. And they're particularly concerned about the um, aspect of it where our our water and air is going to be taken away um, to feed the Chinese Communist Party, because obviously they're very opposed to the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the assumption that somehow the Democrats are better on this issue than the Republicans is just laughable to us. I mean, mm-hmm. um NAFTA was passed under Mr. Clinton and uh, Mr. Velsack, our Department of Agriculture under Obama, saw more CAFOs than any other um, uh, presidency, I believe. And then Mr. Biden just reappointed him. <laughs> so yeah. um, I don't think you're going to see, I think, a, a, I don't know what the classic liberal thinks about where I live, but um, it 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 really crosses party lines um, and d- doesn't fall into the conservative versus um, or Republican versus Democrat slash liberal, mm. and um, and actually I find that it's a very confusing set of issues because the as you know the the immigrant labor that they're using uh, the big capital cheap labor um, economic model that they're using. Um, we see that being an issue with uh, like the current efforts to legalize so many people um, that that's going to make it even more difficult for our family farms to survive. Um, but we don't see that in racist terms. We just see it in cold economic terms. So mm. it's pretty complex set of issues. I, I, I don't expect that a lot of our conservative folks who are really concerned about guns and uh, abortion, those two big issues, um, are going to become Democrats over this, if that's kind of what you're asking. I, I guess it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I do tend to, because I'm on the East Coast and, and um, people who are into small-scale farming, uh, re-regionalizing food systems tend to be Democrats, where I come from. Um, so, you know, this is, uh, we have small farms in in New England. <laughs> you know, we don't have the land to do the kind of farming that you do out in the in the farm belt. Um, Art, what about in Iowa? Do you see any change in the politics uh, coming uh, as a result of the um, the unfortunate, um, <laughs> uh, you know, stranglehold on the statehouse that you have described earlier in the program? Uh, <clears throat> well, again, the political culture between Redneck, Iowa and Redneck, Wisconsin is different. Mm-hmm. And uh, here everybody is has been plugged into the to the hog vein for, you know, since nineteen ninety and actually it goes way back before that, but uh, you know, in the whole culture of the state that you walk your you walk your corn to market. That uh, you know, you walk it to market on the hoof. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the whole mentality in Iowa. And uh, so it there is a lot more support for confined animal feeding operations in Iowa than there probably is in rural Wisconsin. Uh, hmm. uh, Although rural Wisconsin had all those dairies, they had those big industrial dairies. Yeah, but they didn't have whole. Yeah, not a lot of difference. Yeah. We and we really, we really haven't. We've just started really getting the big industrial dairies. <clears throat> I mean, we lost eight hundred middle class dairies last year. But we've mm-hmm. had a very middle class um, dairy opera, you know, industry for, for the, years. The, the independent hog industry was wiped out, you know, well before 1998. And, uh, yeah. 
So we've adjusted to it here. The, uh, again, uh, the political, the Farm Bureau in Iowa is where the Farm Bureau kind of was born. I realize it was born in New York, but it was built in Iowa. And, <laughs> and they, they have a they have an inordinate political influence in the state. And they're, again, plugged into the whole. It, everything starts with corn. If you don't have hogs, mm. you don't need corn. And yeah. so it all starts with corn and chemicals. And so it's not really the farmer that's the, the problem. It's not even Smithfield that's the problem. It's Bayer. Right. It's the corn. Right. It's corn. It's Pioneer. It's, uh, and, yeah, it's Dow, DuPont, Pioneer, Bayer, right. the big. Right. And then yeah. you throw in Smithfield, Tyson, JBS at the next level of it. They're expression. uh uh-huh. Interesting. They're expressions of the corn culture, Okay. And, yeah. and we're a lot deeper into that, I'd say, than Wisconsin is, where it has a tourist economy. It has, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some outdoor opportunities that I, you know, we, 92% of Iowa's acres are in cultivation. Yeah. Uh, that's not true of Minnesota or Wisconsin. So there's a different culture here. And what is changed, but I will say that the guys, who, the, the hook and bullet crowd, uh, those guys hate hog houses. They hate confined feeding operations they are not in favor of monoculture and those are your mm. those are your bricklayers your concrete guys your carpenters the guys that hunt and fish they don't like it but the guys who are out cleaning out hog houses and cleaning out lagoons and trucking and working in supervisory positions in the meat packing plants are very much vested in that system yeah, what will sure. change our politics, however, is the fact that I think everybody knows down deep that they see our soil blowing away and washing away into the Mississippi and down into the Gulf yeah. of Mexico. And there is a change of thinking going on in the Midwest about agriculture that most people don't appreciate. And that change of thinking has infected Tom Vilsack as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's what we're hoping. Um, there's the the new money on the pandemic is more targeted at the smaller operations, and um, this might be too nerdy, but you've mentioned a couple times about nutrient management plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, nutrient management plans were never designed, you know, methodology wise to protect water. Uh, they are designed to maximize production. And um, we actually have seen a couple of folks at the University of Madison, um, big dairy, but um, let's say, you know, we need to reassess what these nutrient management plans are even attempting to do because they really expect 20% of the nitrogen to, you know, go past the plant so that 80% of it can get in the plant. So, you know, Mm -hmm. they actually design the plants to pollute the groundwater. And um, so... I agree with Art. There, there may be a glimmer there, and especially where we are, we're close to an urban market, so we do have a strong uh, intact system still of people who are selling direct to uh, the urban market. And within our county, um, we have a retail food co-op that sells um, directly from farmers to consumers, like 30 different farmers that are doing that. Organic Valley, which is down in southern um, Wisconsin, is Mm -hmm. the beginning place of organic milk. And um, they're having to compete with Texas and their huge, ridiculous, um, or quote-unquote organic CAFOs. Uh, but we we definitely still have an intact land ethic in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a regionalized food system, probably one of the last in the country. 
Um, so you are, your editorial appeal at the end of it, it appealed to Washington, uh, as in the federal government, um, to help return agriculture to a more holistic um, style. Uh, that's directly contradictory to the preceding 60, 70 years of the get big or get out style of ag that we model right now. So what would you want to see Tom Vilsack or the federal government do that would, uh, you know, start to wind the wind the depredations of the hog industry and the corn industry back in your home state? What would be the steps they would have to take? It's real simple. Just bear with me. Uh, the mm-hmm. markets tell us year in and year out that we're growing about 30 to 50% too much corn. That's what the, mm. when you got $3 corn, which we did until just this year, uh, that tells you that we're, we're growing about 30 to 50% too much corn in the upper Midwest. We need to reduce our corn soy acreage by 30 to 50% to A, quit polluting the Gulf of Mexico and B, it would raise the price of corn enough that you couldn't afford to build a hog house in South Dakota or Wisconsin. You'd have to confine them to Iowa where they're most efficient. They're not efficient in North Carolina either. It's just cheap land down there. That's why they're there. There's no corn mm-hmm. there. So no. at some point, here's the other, the other thing that's happening, and it's very real. Uh, in 2018, they really started ramping up <laughs> cultured meat. Uh that's going to go a long way to reducing meat consumption. In the meantime, and, and, and I'm ser- dead serious about it, in Israel, they got lab-grown meat down to $10 a pound now. When they ramp it up, mm. it will be cheaper than chicken. Uh, that's what's going to be yeah. in nuggets. And it's, it's what's going to be in your hamburgers. Uh, it's going to be cultured meat, and it's going to be grown for a dollar a pound in, the, in the, a production plant. Mm. What we need to do— is convert 30 to 50% of Iowa to grass uh, and uh, graze beef on grass, bring the dairy industry back to Iowa, the independent dairy producer, if that's possible, uh, bring back the independent grazier, and, uh, and that will strangle out the proliferation of hog houses. The rich people will still get their pork and beef and, and chicken. Uh, the poor people will end up eating cultured meat, I think. Yeah. But in the meantime, the next farm bill, we need to massively ramp up the conservation stewardship program primarily, and secondarily yeah. the conservation reserve program, and start allowing grazing on CRP acres. Those would be okay. the two most important things we could do. I like that. And Lisa, what, what would you tell Tom Vilsack? <laughs> if, you, if you could get his ear, what would you say to him? Well, we've been in the conservation um, stewardship program for the last five years, and um, it's it's a good program. <laughs> uh, I guess I I need him to uh, articulate a vision of what agriculture should be. I mean, the guy at the top should be explaining to people in the Senate and in the House what where we should be going and what we should be doing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he spent the last four years talking export, export, export. And when yes. we hear export, we hear hogs in our backyard because the only thing America sends 
let's be honest, the only thing America sends to China is pigs and soybeans to feed pigs. So um, we'd really like to see him change the vision um, so that both the Democrats and the Republicans can stop talking about an export economy that's going to destroy our, what's left of our middle-class farming community. Uh, and that, that's the biggest thing. Um, I'm not a federal policy expert, but I can also tell you that the Clean Water Act that allegedly uh, regulates these um, hogs farms is um, a joke. The nutrient yeah. management plans are totally useless. And then there is a miracle under Trump um, they on the air side, the hydrogen sulfide and methane emissions are not regulated as industrial emissions under the Clean yeah. Air Act. Um, but for some reason, under Trump, the EPA did um, publish a draft air emissions um, uh, mo methodology model. And uh, it came out in, in August. And then uh, we'd really like to see them move ahead with regulating air emissions from these plants as an industrial emission. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, don't know if that's going to happen, uh, but that um, would not. be a hand in hand. They'll never regulate <laughs> agriculture. They will never, ever regulate never. agriculture. It ain't gonna I, I agree with you, Art, because the, the pockets are so deep. We have to make corn too expensive to feed to cheap hogs and cheap chickens. Yeah. But if we could make scrubbers too expensive to put on uh, this uh, point source of air pollution coming out of these things, they've got our guy told us he was planning on 100 fans to be blowing the hydrogen sulfide out of his building, uh, yeah. 100 fans. And right. um, so but Art, give me a break. She asked me what I'd tell Vilsack. Yeah, true. Okay? true. <laughs> yeah. So who, who are you? To yeah. tell me, I can't tell Vilsack to to finish off the air, the Clean Air Act. Yeah, right. Well, listen, you guys, we got to take it. We have to we have to close there. But um, this was tons of fun, <laughs> and um, I I really I wish you both the best in your in your pursuit of uh, of a, a lesser hog future. Um, Art, anytime you want to come on the show, you just let me know. Same with you, Lisa. It's been a joy and a delight. I've learned a lot from both of you, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thanks, as always, to my sponsor. And we'll see you, um, folks, listeners, we'll see you uh, next week with another, you know, scintillating conversation, I promise. Thanks for listening. So long for now. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>